Good morning. Did you have a wonderful Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, we did too. My wife's family comes down for Thanksgiving, and it's always a joy. There's about, uh, I guess we have about 10 or 12 people at our house, and I love it because there's always so much trash to throw out the next day. And if you don't remember me telling you this, I'm going to tell you again because the dump brings me such joy. In Delaware... And I, Felice, I know you heard it before. You have transfer stations. Everybody aware of the transfer stations in Delaware? I call them the dumps because it's where you take your trash. Right? It's, it's like the best experience. In your, in your, if you haven't done it, you have to go there and take trash to the dump. There's only one person who, who has more fun doing it than me. This is my dog, Lily. She is a, a 10-year-old Weimaraner. And I don't know how she knows what she knows when it's dump day. Like every other week it's dump day. Yes, we have trash service, but I don't care. I throw a band into the wind and I go to the dump with extra trash because I love it so much. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why Lily loves it. You know, when you go to the dump, you know, you go through the little gate and they give you your little card and, you know, you go to the little dump area and then, you know, you're there and you have your truck full of all stuff that you want to throw up. Oh, this, this Friday I had stools, I had, a, I had a wheelbarrow, I had full food, I had everything. I was living large. So, yep, yeah. yeah lift up the hatch of the back of your truck and you pull up to the window there where you throw your stuff into the dump and I just do it with a man. I just throw the stuff and it's a freeing feeling. I feel like it's really, it's a cathartic spiritual experience. I say, take it, Lord. Take my wheelbarrow. Take the stool that was broke. Take the Thanksgiving Festivus meats that we don't want anymore. <coughs> and it's exciting and I feel almost cleansed by doing it because for me it's a picture of how I'm supposed to give up material goods for Christ, and I really feel the joy. The only bad part about the dump is when we leave. It's not the payment. It's $7.50 to dump as much stuff as you want from the truck. I laugh because I would pay 20 but I'm not going to tell anybody. I would pay 20 They could make a fortune off of me. But when we leave and he gives me my change, he only gives us one little biscuit, one little treat, and there's two of us in the car. I think, I, think the, I think to myself, does he not see the dog sitting there to the right of me? So the ride home can be a little tense, but, uh, but uh, we've learned to go back and forth. Now, actually, I told earlier, I, we, we play rock, paper, scissors for the, for the biscuit, but I always win because dogs can't do scissors. <laughs> yeah, I'm smarter than I look, right, John? <laughs> what a powerful name it is, church. So I want to talk this morning as we go into Philippians chapter 3 about gaining Christ and finding joy in him. And I think it's a, a message that we all need to hear as we uh, spent our week in front of all the bounty that the Lord blessed us with. I think we sometimes need to be reminded that our joy comes from Christ and not the things that we have been given and I, endeavor, I will endeavor to do that today. So before we read uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verses 1 through 11, turn there if you'd like to, but if not, they'll be on the screen. Why don't we go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning and get our hearts settled before him. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for all of the goodness that you have bestowed upon us. You are a good God. You are a merciful God. You have saved us and you have blessed us beyond belief. We thank you and we praise you. Be with us this morning as we worship you through the uh, reading of your word. And Lord, just open our hearts and minds to what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. All right, so we're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, 
my brethren. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul is transitioning here. Just a, a brief commentary. Paul is transitioning here, so see if you can pick up where he's headed. I'll shut up and read this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put on confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is shifting here, church. He is he has spent the last two chapters of this letter talking about the importance of the gospel, the joy of being able to preach the gospel, and the joy of being unified around that goal as a church. And he has expressed that very clearly in the first two chapters of Philippians. And here when he uses the word finally, he's not ending his letter. Actually, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he uses the word finally again. What he's saying is, is in transition... Now for another topic related to that, but a little bit off of what I've been pounding into your head, let's move on to something different. So just take note of that. So Paul says here, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And this is something we're going to unpack a little bit more later. Rejoicing in the Lord. Um, it may not fully be what you think it means, and I've explained this before, and repetition is what we do. Paul says it's no trouble for him to repeat things, certainly no trouble for me to repeat things. But I want us to understand when we leave here today what it means to rejoice in the Lord, because you are in Christ. Paul says, to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision for we are the true circumcision. What does he mean by that? Well, there were people going around saying that in order to be truly saved, you had to go through the Jewish custom of circumcision. And this has been dealt with already by Peter and others at the Church of Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, no, it's not true. These people are dogs. Beware of them. You do not have to be physically circumcised. Paul dealt with this in Romans chapter 2 where he said, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Whose praise? 
And his praise, the one who has his heart circumcised, his praise is not from men, but from God. So let's talk about this a little bit. Who are these dogs? So there were people coming after the true believers saying, Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient to save you. You must also be circumcised. So there is this group of people who were questioning the salvation of the believers in the early church here at Philippi. And they were saying, you have to add something to your salvation in order to enter glory, in order to enter heaven. You must be circumcised or your salvation doesn't count. And Paul says, no, they're nothing but dogs nipping at your heels. They're evil workers. They're trying to get you to lose your focus. They're trying to pull you away from the gospel. They're trying to pull you away from unity. They're trying to pull you away from Christ by saying that what you've put your faith in, Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, is not sufficient. Well, Paul said these people are nothing but dogs trying to, you know, like a dog would pull at your, your pant leg and try to pull you away from something. These people are nothing but dogs trying to do that. So how do we relate that church today? Because these people claim to be believers. They claim to be in the church, but they said Christ's work isn't sufficient. How do we relate that to today? Certainly we don't have arguments over circumcision. Well, we relate that today by anybody who tries to add anything to the gospel or to cause you to doubt your salvation. Somebody who might say that you must be baptized in order to enter heaven. That is adding something to the gospel. Baptism is a wonderful proclamation of the heart being circumcised. But it has nothing to do with circumcising the heart, right? So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're not saved because you were never baptized, you say to them, I believe in the finished work of Christ and that alone and nothing I do outwardly can add one iota to my salvation. But how about something a little bit sim simpler? Maybe nothing so dramatic. How about somebody saying to you, well, you don't sing the hymns that I sing, so therefore you are not a true believer. Believe it or not, there are people who think People who don't use the King James Bible are not true believers. There are people who have these beliefs who want to tear down Christians and pull them away from being in Christ and having joy in Christ. There are so many ways that people can pull you away from your focus on Christ. And I have to say, unfortunately, a lot of that happens in the church. When you talk to somebody who's left the church, what do they usually say? cause them to leave a church or the church, generally you find that it's an interaction with somebody, isn't it? Somebody insulted me, somebody hurt me, somebody deeply cut me, or somebody said I wasn't worthy, or I was insufficient. Dogs, 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 trying to tear you away from something that is essential, and that's for you to find your joy in Christ and Christ alone. There should be nothing anyone can say to you to tear you away from Jesus. No matter how cutting, no matter how deep, no matter how insulting, and I wish those things never occurred, but we should never let them destroy our joy in Jesus Christ. Never. And Paul says, if you want to have joy in Jesus Christ, don't look to your left and right. Don't look for the praise of the people around you. Look for praise from God and God alone. Do the right thing. Worship the Lord in spirit. Be who you are. Oh, you're too poor to come to my church. Oh, you're too highfalutin to come to my church. No, Christ and Christ alone. So first thing Paul says is rejoice in the fact that you have to please God. You don't have to please everybody around you. 
There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. J.I. Packer said this, when you truly know God, you have an energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. Church, if you truly know God, you have an energy to serve him, a boldness to share him, and a contentment in him. Do you believe that? Does that seem like a reasonable statement? I think it's a very reasonable statement. But here's where I start to cause you to examine yourself as I've had to examine myself. I believe I'm a true believer. Do you believe you're a true believer? Amen. Do you have the energy to serve him? Do you serve him? Do you use that energy to serve him? When I look at a church of 400 people and I I consider that we can't get teachers enough to teach our children, I question, is everybody energized to serve God? I question, is everybody putting 100% in? And it's not just about this church, in your life with Jesus. Are you putting 100% into your relationships? Are you energized in your marriage? Are you energized in raising your children? Are you energized in serving him? Why should you be energized? Well, we went through this two weeks ago because God is the one who works in you to do his will. And we should consider that, that it is God who is trying to work out our salvation within us, and we should consider that something fearful and something frightening that God wants to come out of us in actions, in deeds, in service. Fearful because who are we to stop an infinite God from pouring out of our lives? So we should be energized. And what's the source of that energy for the church? The Holy Spirit. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to not only let him change you and sanctify you, but you have to let rivers of living water flow from you. And that's an energetic process. How do we get energy? We damn flowing water. Let the water flow. It's energy. We have to have a boldness to share him and a contentment in him. And that's the one I want to really focus on this morning, a contentment in him. We, going on in Philippians chapter 3, we who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. So we worship the spirit, we worship in the spirit of God and we glory in Christ. And I can't wait to get there. In Christ Jesus, we find glory. And we put no confidence in the flesh, in worldly things, in materialism. We want to take everything to the dump and just get rid of it because we want to gain Christ and focus on him. Paul says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. What's he talking about? Well, Paul was a a man of great stature in Judaism. He was a man of great stature in Judaism. He goes on and tells us why he could boast in the flesh if he wanted to. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, says Paul, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was top tier as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Not that Paul thought he was sinless, but Paul, when he sinned, he made the appropriate sacrifices. Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee. 
a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I interpreted the law for Israel. I had the best seat at the tables. Tax collectors had to turn away. People practically worshipped me because I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee among my people. Blameless. But you know what he did, church? First of all, do you know what it's like to have status in society? Do you know what it's like to be looked at and, oh, he's a doctor. She's a doctor. Status. You have status in society, right? And we love that and we carry ourselves because we have stature in society. But Paul had this and he gave it up. He gave it up, church. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. I was the tops in the Jewish community and I threw it all away. I gave it all up so that I could gain more and more and more and more of Christ. And I have to remind you, and we do this every so often. I know many of us have used the description of Paul, and I'm going to, make it, I'm going to use it today to make a point. Often we think of Paul as this strong, confident man, this robust and tall and, and you know, really a, a bold person who people would look at him and be intimidated. Oh, here comes Paul. We better, we better uh, get out of the way. No, here's the description of Paul from the second century. Now, this is not a piece of scripture. This is not a piece of biblical scripture. This is apocryphal. These are historical writings that have value but are not part of the Bible. Here's the description of Paul. The description in the Acts of Paul and Tekia, this is a book that was written that's not in the Bible, is as follows. A small man in size, bald-headed, bandy-legged, meaning bow-legged, well-built, with eyebrows meeting, one brow. Rather long nose, some describe him as a crooked long nose, full of grace. For sometimes he seemed like a man, and sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. So imagine this. He's not the best looking man in the world. He has attributes that people today make fun of people for. He's bald. His eyebrows are together and too thick. He, he, he can't, and we know that he can't see well. His legs are bowed out. He's bow-legged. He's small in stature. Now, if you put that man and make him a Pharisee, what happens to that man's ego? I'm a Pharisee. A Napoleon complex can kick in, right? This gives me worth. This gives me value. I'm not an attractive man in the world, but I'm a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and that probably gave Paul quite a bit of significance and importance. But what did Paul do with all that notoriety, with all that, you're such a great man in the Jewish community, Paul? He said, being of that stature and being looked up to in that way, it's not worth it if I can't know Christ. I will give everything I'm looked up for in this world, and I will become the bow-legged, bald, short man for Christ. Because there's nothing more important. Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Not that he's saying, oh, I lost them. He's saying, I count them as rubbish. I throw them out for the sake of knowing Christ. More than that, Paul goes on. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish 
so that I may gain Christ. I often wonder, as I sit around the Thanksgiving table and I hear all the wonderful things that we have, the wonderful things that we do, the wonderful places we get to go, the wonderful houses we get to eat in, the warmth that we have on a cold day, and I often wonder, what if I lost all these things? Would I still love Christ? And then I, I ask myself another question. All right, I haven't lost all these things. Does it make me love him less? And sometimes, almost all the time, I have to confess that the answer is, my material blessings make me love Christ less. What do I mean by that? I do less for him when things are good. When times are hard, who do I go to, church? I go to him. When a diagnosis is bad, who do I run to? I go to him. When a job is lost, who do I go to? I go to him. When a child's sick, I go to him. When my marriage isn't going well, I go to him. But when everything's fine, you know what I do? I don't go to him. I let all these things that I've amassed, that I've consumed, that I've gathered, get in the way of gaining Christ and finding joy in him. And I want to I say a special word to you who are young in this room today. Young marrieds, young marrieds to be. I beg you not to put material desires above your Lord Jesus Christ and your marriage and your children. I beg you not to want more than you can afford. I beg you not to compare yourselves to those to your left or to your right, but only compare yourselves to your King and Lord Jesus Christ. I beg you to find your peace and satisfaction in him and not by buying one other thing that will make you happy. It destroys our lives. It takes away so much joy. It takes away such precious moments that can never be restored. Yes, you work hard for all these things. You do. You work hard for all these things. But if you work hard for money, 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 what are you sacrificing? Time with your wife, time with your family, time with your Lord. Don't give up what's important in life for what you can one day take to the dump and it will just be crushed and burned. What value is there in that? I love sitting next to the older people when I visit them in the hospital or in their homes or in a facility and they tell me the stories and they don't tell me the stories about you know, how they had the best cars in the world or how they had the best houses in the world. Folks, what are the stories always about? Experiences, family, how they serve the Lord, how their children are either you know, with them or not with them. It's all about things that can't be purchased, things that can't, but all these things the Lord tells us are important. Seek him and then seek all the things he has for you to love each other. Knowing Christ is more important than having stuff. And Paul knew that. And he said, I count it all as loss. I'll give it all up. You know what FOMO is? All right, my kids teach me some things occasionally. 
What is that? What is FOMO? Somebody tell me. Fear of missing out, right, that's FOMO, so I, I'm teachable, I think that's a good, good thing to know. And this is the thing, fear of missing out. People spend their whole lives comparing themselves to people on the internet, on these websites, on these social media things, and it actually causes them to be depressed because they think they're missing out on something that somebody else has and that they think they deserve, and it causes a great deal of depression in our society, believe it or not. This is actually a condition, envy. The Bible's taught about it for years. But Paul says, find enjoyment in Christ. Paul could have boasted. Paul could have boasted, church, because do you know, and I'm finding a lot of people aren't aware of this, when Paul was stoned in Acts chapter 14, he was taken for dead. Do you recall that? They stoned him, and they all gathered around him and say, well, the brother's dead. Let's drag him out of the city and leave his body out of the city. Well, it appears that Paul may have actually died and gone to heaven, and that's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's a purpose for me reading this. So just bear in mind, this is Paul talking about himself, but he doesn't want to boast, so he shares this in the third person as though he's talking about somebody else. But there is no theologian in the, in the world who doesn't claim that Paul is actually speaking about himself. So let me just read this. So he was stoned, he died. Boasting is necessary though, it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. So the Apostle Paul went to the third heaven. That's, for those of you who don't know, in Jewish tradition, the air around us is the first heaven, where the celestial bodies are, the sun, moon, and stars is the second heaven. The third heaven is paradise, the throne room of God. <laughs> and that's where Paul was taken. I bring this up to you because a lot of us you know, wonder how Paul could be so bold, so driven, so into the ministry to the point where, you know, he's, he's in shipwrecks and he's, he's being uh, imprisoned and he's having all these horrible things happening to him, but yet he pounds away, he keeps going, he keeps pushing forward. And so how can this man have such a great motivation? And I tell you, if you were to go to the throne room of God right now and sit or prostate yourself before the throne of Jesus Christ, and you see inexpressible things that you can't speak about, you're not even allowed to tell people about because it's too great that you can't speak about it, and then suddenly you were to come back. What would you think about the material things around you? What would you think about the things that we so adamantly want to buy and to own? I mean, how can somebody who's been to heaven and saw streets of gold be offered a piece of gold here and say, here, here, Paul, stop your ministry. Here's 10 ounces of gold. Paul would say, I've seen streets of gold that lead to the throne of Jesus Christ. 
Your gold means nothing to me. Nothing in this world has value to me because I beheld Jesus Christ and him resurrected. God wants us to get as close to the throne as we possibly can without going there like Paul did. Because when we draw near Christ, when we gain Christ, when we find our joy in Christ, our needs here in this world diminish and our needs to be filled with him increase. Our desires to have everything we see diminish and our desire to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to love our wives, to love our husbands, to love our children increases because these are all the things that have eternal value. When we see Christ, everything else fades away. And that is how we find joy, by getting closer and closer and closer to him. Philippians chapter 3 goes on. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith in Christ. There's a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I'm going to say something that may hit some of you in a deep place. I don't know. We believe that when you come to the Lord in salvation, that you cannot lose that salvation. That if you are a true believer, he will see that through. You will be in glory with him. But he also tells us in the Bible to test whether we are in the faith or not. So I challenge you, as Paul says, righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. If you are a believer and you 20 years ago put your faith in Christ and then you basically put him on a shelf and said, well, I am saved lock, stock, and barrel. Therefore, I can go living my life as I please and I will never speak of him. I will never share the gospel. I will never live my life for him. I will never do ministry. I will never serve in the church. I will never serve my wife as though she was worthy of serving. If you've never taken Christ off the shelf when you locked in that salvation by faith, I question your salvation. Because Jesus says that we will know them by their fruit. And I don't want you to sit here and say afterward, oh, am I saved? I do. But what I really want you to say is, my goodness, that's me. I gave my life to Christ and then I put him on a shelf and I didn't find joy in serving him. Is that salvation? Is that energy that I should get from being saved? Is that the energy I should get from having the Holy Spirit of God living within me. And I don't say this flippantly, but if we as preachers don't warn you that you need to bear fruit and you don't have to be perfect in this life, but if you've never born, born fruit in your life, start questioning that. I'll get off that topic, but we are wrong if we don't warn you that faith isn't a once and done experience, church. For salvation, yes. But you continue to live by faith for the rest of your Christian life. And you continue to work for Christ, not to earn salvation, but because he has given you, privileged you with things to do in this world. And it is an absolute honor to do them because you love your Lord 
you love your Savior. So, I've been talking about this in Christ experience. I've taught on this before, but as Paul said, it's no, there's no harm in repeating things. So the whole idea of being in Christ, it's a hard concept. It's not just a preposition that just lays there. So let me, I tried to explain this earlier. So let's say, have any of you ever flown out of Newcastle that Avella Airlines, Avello, great little airline, get you to Puerto Rico for $99, Florida for $79. This is not a commercial. You have to look it up yourself. But basically when you go there to the airport in Newcastle, they call it the Wilmington Airport, you have to walk out on the tarmac to get to the plane and you have to walk up the steps. So let's say this is Captain Bob's plane. Avello Airlines, I'm Captain Bob. This is Captain Bob's plane. And I say to everybody, all you, hey, if you come up these steps, you're going to be on, you're going to be in Captain Bob, Bob's plane. And you know where you're going to go? Wherever Captain Bob's going. All right? So I invite you all, please stay where you are. If you want to go where Captain Bob is going, come up these steps by choice, take a seat, and Captain Bob's going to take you where he's going. Because you're in Captain Bob's plane. That's an idea of what it means to be in Christ. When you're in Christ, you are in him. I don't know how else to say it. You are in him. When, when God looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, who does he sift looking at you through? Through his son. You are in him. He protects you. He has forgiven you. Jesus Christ has cleansed you. You are in him. And where Jesus Christ is going, because he's the captain of the plane, anybody who takes the steps up to board that plane is going where Captain Bob's going, is going where Jesus is going. You get, you get what I'm saying here? So if we make the choice to put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are going where he's going. So this, gets, this is where we go here, Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> I'm going to point out some of the things, that, them the blessings that we find by being in Christ. So I'm going to stop occasionally, so bear with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we are in Christ. Just as he chose us, where? In him before the foundation of the world. Now let me, let me, let me tell you this. This is a theological point. Jesus Christ is the elect one. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose Jesus Christ to die for our sins if you're sitting in this room and you've walked up the steps to get on Jesus' plane, you are the elect. You have making a choice. You are making a choice to go where Jesus went. He is the firstborn of many. Firstborn. Just as he chose us in him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love, that's in Jesus, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We don't talk a lot about predestination here because we don't like to start wars. But I like to point out that the predestination talked about in this passage is not to salvation. What is it to? Adoption. Adoption as sons. And I like to say daughters. Who's ever on Jesus' plane, who's ever in Jesus' 
He is the Son of God. He will be glorified. Whoever's ever on that plane will also be adopted as sons of God, as daughters of God, because we are in him. He gets everything, and he blesses us with what he's been giving, and we become sons and daughters of God. I've said this many times before. God could have saved us and put us on an island somewhere. God could have saved us from hell and said, here's an island you can all live on. Go be great. I'm going to live over here with my son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You can be good. You can hang out with the angels occasionally, but you can't come over here. But no, he has predestined those who are saved to the adoption of sons and daughters so that we can dwell with him, live with him, have a familiar relationship with him, and live in his house forever and ever. Adoption as sons to Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. You want to rejoice in the Lord, folks? Read this passage daily for a month and read that last line because these are the things that being in Christ, God has lavished on you and me. Lavished. What does that word bring to your mind? He has just given you so much. He's given you it all. You are in Christ. He is wrapped around you. He covers you. You are just lavished. All these blessings are lavished upon you because you are found in him. It's a beautiful thing. And we'll end on this. How do you find joy in Christ? How do you Cause Christ to gain in your life. You watch out for those dogs. You don't let materialism block out Jesus Christ. You don't let envy, jealousy, anything come in between you and the Lord. But how also do we find joy? How also do we lavish? Do we relish his joy? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is important. This is where we're going to end. Paul was conformed to the death of Jesus. Paul fellowshiped in the sufferings of Jesus. We read earlier in chapter 2, that it has been granted us not only to believe, but to suffer for him. What does this have to do with the resurrection? What does this have to do with the power? What gives us the power to suffer? Let me ask you this, church. If you knew that you were going to suffer, and you were going to give up everything here, you are going to give up all your money, let's say, you were going to be the rich young ruler, and you are going to give up everything, and the only thing you had, if you were going to give up, the only thing you were promised is that you would suffer for the rest of your life, and then you would die and be buried, and that would be it. How many of you would really want to suffer? No, if I thought that at the end of my life, I was going to be buried and died, and that would be it, I'm going to live life to the fullest here. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to buy those three cars. I'm going to get those two houses. I'm going to do everything that I want to do, because this is the end. But there's power in the resurrection. Paul says, I embrace the suffering because I've seen the glory. 
I embrace the suffering because I know that there is something beyond the suffering and the fact that I'm allowed to suffer will make the beyond even greater. If I had no hope in the resurrection, if Jesus didn't come out of that grave, we would be dead in our sins and trespasses and I would not want to tell anybody about him. Why would I want to tell somebody about somebody who was not resurrected, who just died on the cross for your sins but wasn't able to conquer sin and death? I wouldn't, and I certainly wouldn't want to be beaten or imprisoned for that person. But the power of the resurrection, church, is the hope that we have. It's not a wish. It's the the factual hope that we have that the tomb was empty, Christ was raised, and we suffer here but we're able to bear the weight of that suffering for the joy set before us, which as Paul saw was phenomenal. And when he saw unspeakable things, he gave up everything because he said, in comparison to what I'm going to inherit, in in comparison to what I have in Christ, the suffering here is nothing. And I know that the suffering here is hard. We've all been through it, and we all have a lot more to suffer. But like Jesus Christ, when he was going to the cross, he was able to bear the cross for the joy set before him beyond the cross. Gain Christ. How do we gain Christ? We gain Christ by not wanting what everybody else has. We gain Christ by wanting more of him and what he has for us. There's shame. There's shame in knowing Christ and loving Christ and thinking that anything in this world can replace him or thinking that anything in this world should have an equal place with him in our hearts. There is shame in that. And I think we all need to examine our lives and see what has taken the place of Christ. Am I a once a month Christian? Am I a one day a week Christian? What kind of Christian am I? Am I all in? If not, how can I gain Christ more? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. More than that, I thank you for your son who pours from every word of scripture. I thank you that you have given us your grace and you have placed us in the care of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for our many blessings. And Lord, I just pray for each and every one in here, including myself, that we find increasing joy in loving you and loving everything else less. Lord, our joy and hope is in you. Thank you for saving us and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.